All right, you can be seated this morning. Thank you for uh, praying with us. You know, um, I, I think I've one of my favorite preachers, um, and I've probably mimicked him at a time, said, uh, is famous for saying the line, I'm preaching myself happy today. And uh, as we were praying, I'm like, oh, God, I got to preach myself happy now. Um, (laughs) Praise God. Um, We are in a series, if you have not been with us, and we're using a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted, and that's the series now through next year, actually. We're going to take our time going through this book, and it's really a book about um, spiritual disciplines. If you want to pick up a copy or a copy of the reading guide, they're on the table in the lobby after the service today. Um, you can pick one of those up. And today we're going to talk about uh, a message that's called The Truth About Spiritual Disciplines. The Truth About Spiritual Disciplines. And starting next Sunday, we're going to look at uh, the discipline of celebration. And over the last two years, I've been doing some different study, a lot of study um, around the Jewish uh, interpretation of the Bible or where where the church kind of split from the Jewish heritage that we came from and what what that looks like. And, um, and in doing so, um, I became familiar with spiritual disciplines that I didn't know were disciplines. Uh, I was born and raised in the Assemblies of God, and so I'll admit that there were times in my life when there were certain denominations that I would look down on, and uh, I, I won't even... Um, tell you which those are, probably all of them, because, uh, you know, of course, I was always right. I was in the right one. Um, and so all of the other ones. But, you know, I realized over the course of time that there is much in the Assemblies of God we can learn from our brothers and sisters in other denominations. Um, you know, we, our movement began because a lot of our ministers got kicked out of other denominations because those denominations didn't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so when we formed, one of the interesting things is, one of the very first ads in the Assemblies of God was that for a group of um, people that believed in the baptism in the Holy Spirit to gather together um, to prayer and fasting and direction from the Lord, and then they put no deadbeats allowed. <coughs> and I've always been kind of amused by that. And I get where that comes from because the, this sense that they were... This newfound excitement and passion to know the Lord, to be excited about Him. But we then have a tendency in the Assemblies of God and other Pentecostal denominations to look down on people that maybe don't get as exuberant in worship or don't get excited or passionate. And we think that they're deadbeats or dry. And yet I've learned that many of them have a passion for the Word of God, a reverence for God, and an obedience to God that many Pentecostal believers don't have. Um, Pentecostal believers can get exuberant in worship and then be the meanest person all week long at work. And so, you know, so we all have good things that we bring to the table, and we all have things that maybe we need to learn from one another. And so um, I love that when I started studying other interpretations, if you will, of the Scripture and learning that maybe we don't have all of it right, and maybe there's some things that we need to learn from these brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, I became awakened to disciplines that I didn't know existed. Like, I didn't know celebration was a discipline. Um, and as I'll talk about next week, um, that's one that I need. Uh, I need to use and learn the celebration, the discipline of celebration. And so we're going to take one of those every month 
And we're going to actually learn to begin to practice it in our lives and figure out how that works and why that works. But today, we're going to talk about how to view spiritual disciplines. Because over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about um, the purpose that God had for us as human beings to be His representatives on earth. That spiritual life is about the restoration of that. The restoration of God's original plan for humanity, for us to live, not just for heaven when we die, but in the kingdom of God now and restoring that. And we do not want to settle for what we talked about last week, this pseudo transformation where we let little boundary marker things define us as believers. But what should define us as believers is love for God and love for people. That should be the definition. And when we understand that, sometimes we get into this trap where we try harder to love people. We try harder to be kind. We try harder to be patient. But I don't know about you, but the harder I try to do those things, the worse I seem to become at it. And spiritual discipline is not about trying harder, but it's about using those disciplines to train myself to be what I've already been recreated in Christ Jesus to be. John uses the illustration in the book about a marathon. And he said, imagine that the Olympic committee comes and knocks at your door and says, hey, we have studied you. We've studied your body type, your prototype. We've studied your personality. We've studied everything about you. And we believe out of all of the people in the United States, you are the person that would best be suited to bring home the Olympic gold in the U.S. marathon, uh, in the marathon for the U.S. in the next Olympics. I don't know what you would think about that, but as they would talk and as they would present their research and as they would do all of this, there would be an excitement that maybe would build in you and you'd almost come to the place where you'd believe this is possible until you'd remember you can't run a marathon. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot run a marathon. If you would go out today and try hard to run 26.2 miles without stopping, I don't care how hard you would try, most of us would not make it. It's not about trying harder. It's about training. And if you want to be a marathon runner, or you want to be a musician, or you want to learn a new language, you have to train yourself to do those things. And so that's what he talks about in this chapter, that spiritual transformation is not just a matter of trying harder. Spiritual transformation is about training wisely. And this is not just semantics or trying to use different wording. This is really about a shift of mindset, about how we view spiritual disciplines. And I hope that through the message today and through the chapter this week, that that's something that grows in our hearts. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. Learning an instrument, learning a language, exercising, doing a sport, this is good stuff. That's good. I mean, in Christian circles, we sometimes think that that's spiritual and the sacred. We've talked about that, the secular and the sacred. It's all one. It's all good. God created the earth and he said, hey, fill it, subdue it, build it, do it. It's my dream for us. And so physical stuff is good, but spiritual is better because it has promise for this life and 
for the life to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul uses the same analogy with the athletic games that would have taken place in Corinth. This would have been something that would have been very familiar to them. And he talks about these athletes are very disciplined in their training. And they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. If we do not keep red hot, if we do not keep disciplining ourselves, if we do not keep training ourselves, we could actually use the Scripture, study the Scripture, teach the Scripture, and yet not even be following the Lord. We have to continue to train ourselves to be godly. We are godly in Christ Jesus, but we train ourselves using spiritual disciplines to make sure that we're living out that calling. And so before he goes into what spiritual disciplines are, he talks a little bit about what spiritual disciplines are not. And the first thing is that spiritual disciplines are not a barometer of our spirituality. What that mean is, means is God does not measure our spirituality by how well we perform spiritual disciplines. We talked about the Sunday school chart in heaven. How many times you get through the Bible while you're here on earth is not, that's not the point. The point is Bible reading and prayer should be disciplining us in a way to live differently, to love God, to love others. And if I read through the Bible 500 times while I'm here on earth, but I'm still mean to people and rude to people, I'm missing the whole point. It's about training myself to be what God created me to be. Our spiritual goal is loving God and loving people. And if you can accomplish that without spiritual disciplines, go for it. But I believe the spiritual disciplines are given to us to help us accomplish that goal. He uses the analogy of sports often in this chapter, uh, just like the Apostle Paul. And he reminds us that practice is very important if you're on a, in a sport. You don't just show up for the game and go out and just hope for the best. You practice. But when the game starts, you don't get points for practice. You don't go up to the referees and show them your practice chart for the week and say, okay, they outpracticed you. You get 10 bonus points to start the game. That's not the point of practice. The point of practice is being able to perform in the right moment. And so you practice free throws, not because you get bonus points, but because when the game is there, you want to make the free throw. The danger is, when someone misses two free throws, we think, oh, they're the worst free throw shooter in the world. And they may be like a 98% free throw shooter, and they just happen to miss two. And we judge them by one performance. We do that spiritually, too. Because we look at other people's lives and we think, oh, well, look, at that. they keep making that same mistake over and over again. But I guarantee you, if we look close enough at any of our lives, I'll find something, you'll find something that we can see that is off in our lives. So the spiritual disciplines are not so that we can be better than others or that we can measure up to others or so that we can feel better about ourselves. The spiritual disciplines are about training ourselves that in the heat of the moment... We can respond right. I mean, we can all respond right in the worship service. Praise Jesus. 
when the atmosphere is charged with the presence of Jesus? But what about in the middle of work when the atmosphere is charged with cussing and anxiety and anger and frustration? That's why we practice free throws. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we practice spiritual disciplines because we want to be able to make those shots on the game time. Now, again, that's not an excuse for us to be on, hey, when we make mistakes, be like, well, nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. But it's about making sure that we don't get our identity from how well we're performing in spiritual disciplines. In the book, John Ortberg says it this way, it's possible to spend every waking moment practicing spiritual disciplines, but doing them in such a way as to actually make us less rather than more loving. In that case, we would be better off if we did none at all. Because just like the Pharisees, we begin to think that we're actually spiritual when we're not. If we're not using spiritual disciplines the way they were intended to be used. The second thing is that spiritual disciplines are not necessarily unpleasant things. Every time we hear the word spiritual discipline, maybe we let off this like internal groan. Like "Mm." even when Pastor Mark said fasting today, we were like "Mm, fasting. Um, All spiritual disciplines are not they're not um, supposed to be unpleasant necessarily. First thing that we need to understand is what are we training for? If you're training for a triathlon or you're training for a pie eating contest, your training is going to be different based upon what you're training for, right? Okay, so spiritually speaking, if we need to to add something to our life or remove something from our lives, that's going to determine what spiritual discipline that we have to use. And they're not all unpleasant. Because if we're trying to have a life that's full of joy and peace and affection and love, the discipline of celebration is not unpleasant. It's not. It's just finding time and making sure that we carve out time and we see the value in it and what it produces for us. So just thinking, uh, I have to find the most miserable things, that's not spiritual discipline, per se. The third thing that he tells us is that spiritual disciplines are not a way to earn favor with God, period. Our favor with God only comes through what Christ has done for us. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. It's an exchange. He carried our sin. He gives us His righteousness, period. And so when we look at other people and we think they're not measuring up, they don't need to measure up by our standard. They are righteous because of what Christ has done. And we're going to talk about encouraging and spurring one another on more than we're critical and fault-finding of one another. That's also a spiritual discipline. Ephesians 2 Verses 8 and 9, it's by grace you've been saved. It's not by faith. This is not from ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No matter how good we get at spiritual disciplines, no matter how good we get at loving God or loving other people, I am never more righteous than the day I put faith in Christ. That's it. I am never less righteous than the day I put faith in Christ unless I turn away from Him. My righteousness depends upon Him from start to finish. And that should free us up. That should take the pressure off so that we can train ourselves to fulfill what God has called us to fulfill. In James 2.18, it 
Some may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So disciplines are important. Obedience is important. Only in the sense that it helps us to morph or transform. Not as an end in themselves. He goes on in in the chapter and he asks a lot of questions. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask as many questions as we can before I have to let you go. And the first one is what makes something a discipline? Okay, what are the disciplines? What makes something a discipline? And he defines it in the chapter this way. A discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will help me to do what I cannot now do by direct effort. So in other words, I do something to get a result that I can't do without doing that something. That's a discipline. Sometimes people will say things like, well, I'm trying to get the discipline of humility or the discipline of patience. Humility and patience are not disciplines. Those are the end results of disciplines. So if you want to cultivate humility and patience in your life, there are disciplines that we will do so that we can cultivate those end results of humility and patience. Those are the end result. What makes something then a spiritual discipline? Spiritual disciplines should be those things that help us live out the fruit of the Spirit. So he defines it again in the chapter this way. Any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught And modeled it. I mean, there are a lot of spiritual disciplines that we're familiar with. Prayer. Reading the Bible. Fasting. Attending worship services. um, Solitude. Having just moments of quiet in our lives. But there are so many spiritual disciplines. The disciplines that are in this book, that's not all of them. You can almost turn any exercise into a spiritual discipline to produce fruit in our lives. But far too many of us take this kesarasara approach to our spiritual life, and whatever will be, will be. That's not how it works. It's not just come forward in a prayer line and ask the Holy Spirit to just zap you. There's still discipline that has to be worked out in our lives day by day by day to show forth the fruit of what the Holy Spirit did when He zapped us. Amen. That's See, I'm already getting happy. So how do I know which spiritual discipline to practice? I mean, should we do them all? Ugh. Pastor Tom, you don't understand my life, and now I have to read this book about discipline. And for most of us, when we hear about spiritual disciplines, we instantly get overwhelmed because we know we're not the people we're supposed to be. We know we're not already doing what we're supposed to do, and now I need to add more things to the list. That's the wrong way to look at spiritual disciplines. They're not supposed to be a burden to carry. They're supposed to be something that gets us actually into the life we want to have. So we have to step back and and first understand what does the kingdom of God even look like? And what then is keeping me from living in that kingdom? What are the things, what are the roadblocks that are keeping me from living in that kingdom? And then what things... Do I need to do to help me overcome the barriers to get where I want to go? I mean, all of us want to live out the kingdom. We just don't always take the time to step back and say, 
what needs to go. That's why Hebrews says to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. It's not quote-unquote sin, but if it's slowing me down or it's keeping me from living out the kingdom, then i got to change. I love the illustration that he uses in the book because this is an illustration that I've used for years that I learned from Pastor Jim Simbla. Well, let me say that again. I heard from Pastor Jim Simbla. I have not learned it yet. But one of the most spiritual things you can ever do is take a nap. Because, listen, the Bible says we're to love people. And I don't know about you, but loving people takes a lot of focus and takes a lot of energy. Not all people, but some people require focus and energy. And when I'm tired, I don't have focus and energy. And if I'm not getting the type of rest I need, it's not fair for me to say, Holy Spirit, give me power. To Now, I get it. We all go through seasons. The baby was up late. Please call on God for grace. But if you're going to continue to live your life with no margins and not sleep and rest, you will continue to be crabby. And what needs to happen in our lives is we need to get better sleep. Praise God. You need to sleep well. Psalm 3, 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Control freaks don't like to sleep. It's a waste of time. Got too much to do. Brother and sister, sometimes we need to sleep. I am learning this. I've learned to go to bed earlier and earlier at night because I know I I like to get up early because everything's quiet. But if I'm going to get up early, I better sleep at night. Because if I don't, I am not going to be like Jesus, no matter how much I pray and read the Bible and fast. I need to get sleep. Psalm 127.2, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Take a nap. Praise God. So, what's a disciplined person look like then? I mean, when we think of disciplined people, I know that most of us think that it's someone who's very rigid, someone who's got color-coded schedules, someone who even color-codes the refrigerator. Everything is like in its place. That's not necessarily a disciplined person. That might just be a control freak. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a recovering control freak. That's not discipline. Disciplined people are not just people who exercise lots of disciplines, who earn the gold stars, who are highly systematic. Remember that the Pharisees were very rigid, very organized. They even tied their spices down to the littlest spice. But they were not disciplined people according to the kingdom. The definition... From our chapter, I love this. A disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right spirit. Gold star for John Ortberg right there. (laughs) I mean, I know it doesn't matter, but he gets one. To be able to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, in the right spirit. And some of us are so busy practicing spiritual disciplines, we're so stressed and tired and anxious and burned out, we can't possibly do that. And maybe the discipline you need to practice is simplicity. We'll get to that one. That's another one. I feel like the, the first two are like the worst two for me. I'm like, praise God, why can't we start with the easy ones? 
again from the chapter, a disciplined follower of Jesus is someone who discerns when laughter, gentleness, silence, healing words, or prophetic indignation is called for and offers it promptly, effectively, and lovingly. And when we start thinking about spiritual disciplines in this lens, it should change everything. And I know that some of us right now are thinking, hey, whoa, 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 what about God? <laughs> because, I mean, it sure sounds like I just have to discipline myself. Doesn't God have a part in this? And I'm glad you asked that question, because yes, God has a vital part. In fact, He is the most crucial part in all of this. And the analogy that John uses to describe it is the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. If we treat spiritual disciplines as just, you know, trying hard in our own strength to become something, that's like a motorboat. But we need to think more in terms of sailboat. A sailboat requires that we have knowledge, requires that we have skill. But if we don't have wind, it won't matter. And we can't produce the wind, no matter how hard we try. In John chapter 3, humans can rep reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. We practice disciplines. We pursue it. But we ultimately are at the mercy of the wind of the Spirit of God to breathe on our lives. We cannot engineer it. It's up to Him. And because we can't engineer it, we can't take credit for it. So when everything is going well in my life and I'm tempted to think, hey, I got this spiritual life thing down pretty good. Uh, nope, I, I don't. I, I, it's all Him. And when things are going bad, it's not that it's His fault, but it's still all about Him breathing life into me. So spiritual growth is going to require that we discern the wind of the Spirit. Moses did not arrange a burning bush. We can't make burning bushes happen. I don't care how many prayer meetings we call. Burning bushes cannot happen by our discipline. They happen by act of God. We can ask for them. We can look for them. But when they show up, we better turn aside to where they are. Because that when God acts, it's our responsibility to turn aside. Don't treat spiritual disciplines as the end result. Treat them as the means to the end result. To become like Him. To know Him more. When we start thinking about disciplines in this way, it shows us that training and spiritual discipline is for every single one of us. Sometimes we're tempted to say, well, I'm just not a type A, I'm not an organized person, so I, I'm not good at spiritual discipline. False. Spiritual disciplines are for all of us. There are other disciplines that will be easier for you to participate in and some that will be harder for you based on your temperament. But all of us are called to this training so that we become more like Christ. C.S. Lewis once said that each person is created to see a different facet of God's beauty, something that no one else can see in quite the same way, then to bless all worshipers through all eternity with an aspect of God they could not see otherwise. 
every one of us in every season of life, in every temperament, is called to practice spiritual discipline. Whether you're the single mom with small children or you're retired and you're all by yourself, there is no barrier to having Christ formed in our life. Every season, every temperament, every person is going to have challenges, but there's also going to be better opportunities. And we just need to stop looking for a different season, looking for a different personality, looking to be like someone else, and just be the us God created us to be and to find out where that sweet spot is and live it out the way that He's called us to live it out. Don't keep trying to be somewhere that we're not. One last quote from this week's chapter. Learning that rhythm is what John talks about through, throughout the chapter. But he says this, in spiritual life, the traditional language for this is rhythm. There will be times of consolation and there will be times of desolation. In times of consolation, we like to pray because God seems close. The Bible seems alive. Sin looks bad and stoplights all seem green. Times of desolation are just the opposite. The Bible seems dry, prayer grows hard, God is far away. When we forget the law of rhythm, we assume that whatever phase is current and will last forever. In times of consolation, I mistakenly think that I now have spiritual life mastered. In times of desolation, I assume that I must have done something wrong or God is punishing me. But in truth, both seasons are inevitable and both seasons can bring unique growth. So as you read through the chapter this week, he goes into great detail about how to, to choose a spiritual discipline, whether uh, I'm committing a sin or whether I'm, I need to add something to my life, a sin of commission, a sin of omission. How do I know which spiritual discipline to begin to choose? And I don't have time to go into great detail in that, but there's some great insight in there about learning what I need in my life and what discipline to look for or choose that's going to get me where I need to go. But here's the key for all of us. Spiritual training requires a choice. We will not drift into becoming like Jesus. We will not drift into a life of training. Jesus challenged his followers often to choose, to lay down their lives, to make those decisions daily. It's something that each and every one of us have to do if we're going to reflect the image of God in our daily lives. Keep in mind, God is our creator. He has a plan for every one of his creation. Every one of us. Every one of us. And yet every single one of us have gone our own way. We have determined for ourselves what is good and evil, what is right and wrong, and we've acted on it. And it has taken us away from what God has said is good and evil, what God has said is right and wrong. And our first step is to admit we have done that and put trust in the fact that Christ died and was raised again to be an exchange for us. And when we admit to God we've gone our own way and we believe that Christ has been that exchange for us, we commit ourselves to follow that exercise or training plan so that we can actually live out what God had already arranged for us to live. So don't get your identity from the spiritual disciplines. Get your identity from Christ Jesus. 
One last scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. This is what it says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We've gone our own way. Christ is our sacrifice. That's the hope we profess. We hold to that unswervingly. And then let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds all the more as you see the day approaching. Church, I know that there are times that we have to have difficult conversations with one another and maybe point something out in someone else or help someone see something they're not seeing. But I'm convinced those should be, I mean, it should be 10 to 1. 10 to 1. I mean, we should praise or encourage or build someone up 10 times for every one time we have to say something critical to them. But we tend to focus, this is our nature as Americans, we tend to focus on what is wrong, what isn't right. And that's why Jesus said, hey, you have got a log, massive log in your eye. You have got to deal with it or you will not see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We have to help remove specks from our brothers and sisters' eyes. Absolutely, Jesus said it. But if we don't take care to remove the log from our own eye regularly, we will not do it from a place of mercy and from a place of love. We will do it from a place of superiority and pride and from criticalness. And that's not what Jesus intended. And so as we walk through this week, I pray that as you read the chapter, as we meditate on these scriptures, that these disciplines begin to shift in our focus, in how we see them and how we use them. And so, Father, I thank you again today just for your goodness. God, that even while we were your enemies, you stepped into this earth, you gave your life for us. When we could not come to you, you came to us. And you made a way for each and every one of us to be brought back into relationship with you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, for every person in this room, for every person watching online who has never made that commitment to admit to you that they've gone their own way, that they've chosen their own standard of right and wrong, that they've broken that standard that you have set, and that they have done it their way, God, they've never put that confidence in Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. God, maybe they've attended church for years. Maybe they've read through the Bible three times. But they've never got their identity from Christ Jesus, from his death and burial and resurrection. I pray today, Holy Spirit, to bring them to that place of surrender. To bring them to that place where they yield fully to you. That they put trust in you completely. And God, today I pray for every one of us, Holy Spirit, that through this week ahead, that there would be a shift in our mindset to begin to see and understand spiritual disciplines in a way that we've never seen them before. God, that we would use them to train ourselves to love you, to love others, to reflect your image in this world. God, just like that basketball player that practices free throws relentlessly, God, may we use spiritual disciplines so that in the hardest moments of our life, whether those are at home in a conversation with our spouse and kids or parents, or whether they're at work in a conversation with coworkers or with people that we manage or people that are over us at work, or whether it's just our neighbors or the people that are in traffic with us, 
God, that in those moments when we're squeezed because of the spiritual disciplines of our lives, God, the fruit of your Spirit comes out of us. Ultimately, that's what we all want, to reflect you, to live as your image bearers fully on this earth, demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like, that it indeed has come. That's why the world will know that we are your disciples when we demonstrate that type of love for one another because it's the fruit of your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do with these words today. Put them deep in our hearts. Transform the way that we think, the way that we process, the way that we live in every single way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here today or you're online and you've never made that commitment to follow Christ, I want to encourage you to reach out to myself, to one of the deacons that were up here on the front, even before you leave today. Um, if you're on the on, online, put it in the chat. Send us a Facebook message. Let us know that you've never made that commitment or you're making that commitment today because we want to pray with you and we want to resource you to walk in that new life that Christ has opened for you. And so thank you for being here today. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. There's a lot of information out there about upcoming events and some information you can take you with you. The offering baskets are there as well. Thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go.